I'm going to be reading from Genesis 3, verses 14 through 19, which is on page 3 of your bulletin. Hear these words from the book that we love. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall, not eat, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. Uh, one thing I've started to learn after having kids is that there are times where I have to augment my voice, like change my voice, the tone of my voice, in order to discipline my sons, you know, to, not, to get them to not run out into the middle of a busy Philadelphia street. And parents, I, I feel like this is something that those who are parents have had to figure out, but really any of us who have been in some kind of authority and have had a creature underneath us who we have to train um, to, you know, to obey, to not hurt themselves, maybe even like training a dog, or maybe you've worked at a summer camp before with a ton of kids, whatever it may be, we have to like access a certain tone of voice that's maybe unnatural to us, that's firm, that's direct. It's kind of almost just like an inescapable thing, and both men and women, like we, an inescapable thing, particularly I found about parenting. And my, when I do this, my son, my son, my oldest son, he says that my voice gets too big, uh, and he, does, he doesn't like it. My, vo- my voice gets too big, uh, which I think is a fine way to say it. Uh, as you hear these, these speeches from God that I just read, these speeches come right after the, the, our, our first parents, um, the first man and the first woman. They eat from the forbidden fruit, the fruit that God had commanded them. That God said, you can eat any of the fruit in the garden. You can even eat from the tree of life. But from this tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, You shall not eat, for the day that you do it, you shall surely die. They eat from this tree, um, and then these are God's, the consequences God gives, these speeches. As you hear these speeches, what tone do you hear? How does God's voice sound? Do you hear rage? Do you hear weeping? As I look at this, this, these, some of the saddest lines ever written, ever spoken, the register that makes the most sense to me is that of a grieving father issuing consequences to his children. It's firm. The, the tone is firm. But it's also tragic. Um, and I'm using the, the word consequences a, a bit intentionally here to refer to these speeches. Um, traditionally in the church, these across many traditions, these speeches have been called uh, the curses, curses, uh, which you, you saw the word curse come up a couple times in this passage, and I'll, we'll get to that. Um, but if, if, you think, if you look closely, really only two things are explicitly cursed in these passages, the serpent um, and the ground. The man and woman themselves are not cursed, uh, and it's more like God is giving 
consequences to them. Now, I'm probably using those two words interchangeably, but I think that's a helpful dis distinguishing point to make. These consequences, these speeches, they are still with us. I'm going to make that case today. Uh, particularly thinking of you, those of you in the room who maybe are re like you're, re you're surprised you're stepping through the door of a church and you're like reading from this book, this ancient book, like what does this have to do with me today? I'm going to make the case today that these, these, these words like help us to understand the world. These haunting lines, these, these, some of these saddest words ever written, they help us understand the world. But it's also so important, and this is where I'll end, it's also so important to know that the same God who gives these firm yet tragic words, he used, through these same lines, he will one day save a devastated world. Act, these words are actually the frame through which God saves the world in Christ. Um, Jesus will bear the consequences. So the sting of these consequences, the sting of these words is overcome. So with that said, let's just work our way through each of these speeches. Um, we'll spend spend a bit of time on, on each of them. So the first one is uh, to the serpent. The serpent, and historically in, in, um, in Christianity, we've, we've understood this to be Satan. Um, Satan is usually associated with serpent-like figures. Um, he's, he, some themes in his, in verses 14 and 15, that God's curse on him is he, he's cursed. Uh, he's cursed to crawl in the dust. Um, he's cursed for there to be enmity, enmity, conflict, between his offspring and the woman. Uh, why the dust? Uh, to be a creature of the dust. Uh, in, uh, in like the ancient uh, Jewish understanding of uh, cleanness and uncleanness, like the dust was unclean. His belly was, is rubbing around in, in uncleanness. And consider the, the starting place of Satan, of like the, one of the angels of the most high, of light. He started from the highest place, but because of his deceit of the man and the woman, he's now going to be cursed to be the most unclean of all creatures in the dust. And second off, that his seed or his offspring, the, the word we see here is in, in, in our translation is offspring. The literal word is, is, is seed in verses in verse 15. His seed, there will be conflict between his seed and the seed of the woman. Um, there, this, there are a lot of things that this means. First off, it's, uh, even though the, we see the serpent as, as Satan, he's still a serpent, he's still an animal. And this is the, the first like breaking in the peace between, between humans and animals. Um, this is where that lack of peace begins. But more deeply than that, this conflict that there will be perpetually between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman, um, it shows that until the end of time, there will be warfare between humans and between Satan and those who follow him, between demons. Uh, the Apostle Paul says this in the New Testament. He says, we do not fight, referring to the church, we do not fight against flesh and blood but against powers and principalities. Um, this is a key to understanding our world, I think. And uh, last week, John Alexander gave this really great illustration uh, from uh, one of the recent Jurassic Park movies. I can't remember which one he was referencing. Uh, about how he's looking forward to chapter 4 uh, where, of Genesis, where Cain uh, murders his brother Abel, and then uh, God says his line to him that, that sin is, is crouching at the door. And his, the sin's desire is, is contrary to him, is for him. And he get, John gave this illustration of like a, there, there's a scene in where the, the main characters in Jurassic Park are out hunting and, uh, for the rap, for velociraptors. And they, one of them turns to the other and is like, you realize we're the ones being hunted, right? And then like a raptor jumps out and it's terrifying. 
And it's like, it's crowd, like, like the rapper, like sin is crouching, trying to overcome us. Sin is personified in Satan, in the serpent. Um, and it's helpful for us to know that he is crouching at the door, or he's like a lion seeking to devour us. That's what another passage says in the New Testament. Um, I would also draw your attention to how that just this language of offspring and seeds in verse 15, like this was not just God having consequences for one set of people. It's not just consequences just for Adam, just for the woman, but it's consequences that are going to have bear, that are going to, to go on, continue on throughout the generations and are going to characterize our lives. And the offspring of the woman, by the way, is everyone. So that's the curse on, on the serpent. The second, the, the second set of consequences that we have is just in verse 16. The shortest one is for the woman. I'm going to talk about this one probably the most because it's, it's frankly the most confusing. Um, the, 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 two, the, the two consequences for the woman is that she will, she will, she will her, it's a multiplication of pain and childbearing. And also in the second half of chapter 16, your desires shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. It's disorder between man and woman. And we talk about each of these in turn. Um, my first question is, I like it's a lot of times when I do sermon preparation, I like to I was meeting with someone this past week. It's, I kind of like just like like to put on like brass knuckles and just like go after the text and like try and like pound out as many things of it that I can and like come like really try to wrestle with it, ask it questions that that I that like I feel like are warranted, that are hard questions. And like the first question that I came to is like, why in the world is the the consequence, pain and childbearing for the woman. Um, it's, it, it just doesn't immediately make sense to me. Why is this a consequence? Is this a fitting consequence for the, the woman and then the man eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Here's what I, th- what I think the, the significance is of this. Earlier in Genesis, we see these commands uh, that God gives to our first parents that are good commands. He tells them in chapter 1 to be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it. Um, and we'll see this with the, with the consequences for the man in a minute. And for the man, he, he tells him, like, hey, you're, you can eat from any tree in the, in the garden, including the tree of life. The, these consequences, with these consequences, what happens is that these good commands of God that we're called to do, suddenly be, they become fraught with pain and frustration. The, the, again, man and woman, they're commanded in, in chapter 1 to be fruitful and multiply, to bear children. And the consequence, because our first parents rejected God's way, the way of life, the way of goodness, uh, they rejected his way and sought to go their own way. So the consequence that God gives is when you come back, when you seek to do things according to the way of life, my way, fulfilling these commands. It'll be filled with thorns and pain and sadness and tragedy. The consequences end up mapping over all the things God has called, good things God has called humans to do. And I know childbearing, like it sounds oddly specific, but if you take time to ponder it, like childbearing and then with the curses that we see that are laid on the man, like they end up up covering all the domains of good, meaningful human activity. Like childbearing, it, childbearing, it doesn't just refer to like there being pain in the moment of the mother giving birth, though it does mean that at least. 
But it means more than that. It also means that everything around childbearing will trend towards disorder, towards pain and tragedy. That means under this umbrella are infertility, complications in pregnancy, perhaps longing to be married, but not for whatever reason, not being able to be married, not being able to have kids. Uh, including, including this is parenting and the challenges of parenting kids who are toddlers, teenagers, adults. The consequence of sin, of our parents' first sin, is that doing good things, meaningful things, has become characterized by pain, disorder, conflict, and tragedy. And that's some of what the Apostle Paul means in the New Testament when he says the wages of sin is death. That's, why, that's some of why it's childbearing. And the second thing, uh, the second consequence that's, that's laid on the woman, but it has everything to do with the man too, is, is uh, this disorder. See, the, our translation that we read here says, your desire will be contrary to your husband, but he will rule over you. And there's actually a like, really hot debate um, about the, the translation here of like, con- your desire will be contrary to your husband. It's a bunch of fighting over like one, like seriously, one character. He, one Hebrew preposition. And in our ESV is actually the minority translation saying that your desire will be contrary to your husband. Most translations um, across, um, across, you know, across like, you know, from all different translation philosophies usually translate it, your desire will be towards your husband or for your husband. Um, but there is a sense that this preposition does also carry um, like against or under or in like the the, again, the, 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 the verse from chapter 4 about how sin is crouching at the door for Cain, um, that it uses the same preposition, like sin's desire is for him, it's towards him. But also, like, if sin is desiring something for Cain, like, it's, it's going to be not for his good. So it's like, even though there's, I'm, I'm like, kind of reluctant to, to, like, build an entire edifice of, like, gender relations on a single preposition, um, but here's what we can say with confidence about this is that in the beginning, what we've read to the left of the Bible, left of what we read today, in the, the few pages before this, is that in the beginning, um, this, and this is actually the culmination before things started to go bad, is that it says that man and woman, that they were naked and unashamed with each other. They trusted each other. They knew each other. Uh, they, uh, man, I, I, would, I would make the case that there's that, from those earliest chapters, that man is the head. He's created first. He's addressed first by God. His consequence in this passage is the longest. But woman is to be his indispensable ally. Indispensable. Um, and one, uh, one uh, commentator in the 1800s, put, he, he wrote about how, how woman was created out of the rib of man in chapter 2. And he says this. Um, just reflecting on why was she created out of the rib. He says, she wasn't made out of his head to top him. She wasn't made out of his feet to be trampled on by him, but she was made out of his side to be equal with him. She was drawn from out, out from under his arm to be protected, and she was drawn from near his heart to be beloved. After the sin of our first parents, that image, that set of relationships between men and women, between husband and wife, it has been cracked. The harmony has been cracked. That does not characterize the world that we live in. Imagine like a mirror. If you look into a mirror, you can see, you know, you're looking at your image. Now imagine that mirror is cracked. You can still, like the image is still there, but it's, 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 it's harder to discern. Something that was there before has been lost. Harmony, the harmony between 
man and woman, and also just between people, is not like the default setting of human existence. It's not the auto setting. Where there was trust and friendship, there's now conflict, there's discord. Where there was loving headship, the line, he shall rule over you. Where there was compassionate headship, there's now tyranny, he shall rule over you. And there's also men being passive manipulators. That, that's what Adam did in just a few verses earlier. That's a way that man rules over woman, through passive manipulation. And I just want to like pause and admit for a second that like, just like let's all breathe. Uh, again, thinking of those of you who, who are like maybe surprised you're here this morning and you're, you're investigating Christianity. Like, let's admit that like all this is kind of hard to believe, isn't it? Isn't it like a talking serpent deceived a naked man and woman in, the gar- in a garden many, many, long year, many years ago, and that led to the great messing up of the world? Um, I think for modern people, there's a lot of that that's just like hard to buy into. But I would, I would make the case that like inductively, which is if you just try and observe all the things you know about life, your experiences, things you see in human relationships, Inductively, I think these like speeches they help us understand like how the world works, and it's kind of the plainest thing in the world in some ways that our world is like a, a cracked mirror, um, and the things aren't the way that they're supposed to be. And to you to to make that case specifically about uh, this qu- this question of um, what I'm saying, what we're looking at with the curse the curse that's laid on the woman, um, consider the status of the conversation is far too civil a term. Uh, the debate on abortion that's been going on in our country over the past few weeks, past few days especially. Abortion happens to be a subject that's just about, that's about childbearing and about gender relations. As I bring up this subject, how many of you are scooting forward to the edge of your seat because you want me to say the right thing right now? now that I've brought this up, right? The fact that me naming this subject, which again, is about the exact things in this curse, that we like scoot to the edge of our seat and we're like waiting for the, the, the right thing to be said, like there's just this conflict that dominates everything. Like, does it, doesn't like the fact that we're doing that prove that these verses are true, doesn't it? In pain you shall bring forth children, childbearing, from inability to have children, conception, through all the way parenthood, is fraught by pain and tragedy, and it's personal. Isn't it true that this is our world? Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll talk more about abortion in a minute, but um, I want to finish by talking about the, curse on, the, the consequence, excuse me, for the man. Uh, for the man, we see this, his is the longest, verses 17 through 19, uh, pain, uh, thorns, uh, where he was supposed to be able to just grab the, the fruit from the, from the garden and eat it. Now there are thorns and thistles, and he's going to have to work the land, and ultimately he's going to return to the dust. Again, as with the woman, it's good commands that are twisted for, in, in this, this consequence. He was called to have, exercise dominion over the earth, eat the plants, eat from every tree of the garden. And you notice that there's a theme in, in verses 17 through 19 about it's about, it is about working, but it's also about eating. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life from the cursed ground. Um, it's, about, it's a lot about eating. Where there was a beautiful garden, and eating 
uh, was in ease in God's presence and he could eat from the, the tree of life and participate in the life of God. Now these activities are characterized by pain. And ultimately the consequence for the man and for all of us is that we will return to the dust. We can't re-eat from the tree of life anymore. He's not allowed to eat from the tree of life anymore. We'll read next week about how they're cast out, exiled from the garden. Because we cannot eat, they could not eat from the tree of life, it means that they will die. From dust he was made, and to dust he will return. They chose the way, they didn't, God's, the way of, that God put in front of them, the way of God is the way of life, the way of wholeness, and they opted to instead go their own way. So God says, okay, the consequence is that you, you may now go your own way, and you may not eat from the, the, the tree of life, from this first path so you will die. Again, Paul says in the New Testament, the wages of sin is death. So what do these consequences mean for us as we um, bridge it to our own experiences? Um, I, as I, I've been trying to make the case, it's like, these, are, these things are true. As we, it helps us to understand our world. I think that like, it means that we should expect for the best things that God has given us in life our work, uh, raising children, our friendships, our marriages. I think those of, those, those, of you, those of us who follow Christ, who believe that in the inspiration of this book, that we should expect for those things to be characterized by pain and frustration and decline. I think it means that we shouldn't be surprised that it's hard to, keep, to make friends and keep friendships. I think we should, it means we shouldn't be surprised that having kids and raising, that raising kids was way harder than we expected. I think it means that we shouldn't be surprised that it's hard to go to a small group or a home meeting every week, just getting there, every, just, maybe that's just me. It's, it's just hard to get there. It's hard to like be in community, to be known and get to know others. Trust has been broken. We shouldn't be surprised that there are times where our careers, our passions, just feel like a giant mountain of dust we shouldn't be surprised that prayer feels like the most unnatural thing on the, in the world on lots and lots and lots of days. It means that we shouldn't be surprised that people we love get sick. It means that we shouldn't be surprised uh, that living in a city or in a suburbs, wherever you live, that there are places, when you live in that place, you feel more isolated or you feel more endangered or there are cha- unique challenges to it. Love it or hate this, the, these words, love them or hate them, it fits with our experiences of the world. And it actually reframes us in a way to expect things to be hard. Yet, but, through these curses, through these consequences, God, the same God who says these words, will one day bring new life. God does not just give us judgments here. This is not the end of the story. Uh, though it's worth saying that for many people we know This is the end of the story. To dust you will return. Um, But because, like, and things are going to get worse before they get better as we read on, trust me. Um, Because of what we have, what we know about what God has done in saving mankind in in the person of Jesus, um, these, these consequences, though they're with us, though we all will return to the dust, these consequences, they end up becoming a path to new life. 
for those of us who are united to Jesus by faith. There are ways that he uniquely works through these consequences. He bears these consequences for us so that these things aren't the end anymore. Jesus overcomes the dust and the devil. They don't have the last word. So consider, some, consider go, let's go through them. The curse on the serpent. The woman's seed will bruise the head of the serpent. That's at the end of verse 15. The, the, from the earliest, earliest times in the church, uh, the, fathers, the, the church fathers saw this is that Jesus was the, was the one, the seed of the woman, the offspring of the woman who will overcome the serpent. He succeeds in the temptation where Adam failed. And now in Christ, those of us who are united to him by faith in complete reliance upon him, uh, we too can, be, can overcome temptation. We're in complete reliance abiding upon Christ, the one who overcomes. And more than that, one day Jesus will come and defeat the serpent forever. That's what we read in the last pages of the Bible. What about the, curse, the, the consequences for the woman? Pregnancy and child, well, childbearing. Um, this one just, just boggles my mind. Through the rest of the Bible, God brings redemption through high-risk pregnancies, through impossible pregnancies. Consider in, in the chapters ahead, in, the, in the, the about 10 chapters ahead from where we're at, God promises to an old man named A- Abram, and his wife Sarai, that they will have a son, even though they are far past the childbearing years. And they end, she ends up bearing, bearing a son. It's, just, it's an impossible, painful pregnancy. Uh, Moses, who's the great deliverer in the book of Exodus and beyond, he, when he was born, babies were being put to death. Sons were being put to death. His mother had to hide him and trick everyone so that he would survive. The, the prophet Samuel, a few books ahead, his mother, Hannah, could not bear, could not bear a child. So she pleaded with the Lord that she, so that she could. And most notably, and most impossibly of all, a virgin named Mary in the New Testament gave birth to the Savior of the world. God brings, brings new life and redemption through the pain of childbearing. I, as I was thinking about this, I, was, I heard a story this past week. Um, I heard this story even before all the Roe v. Wade stuff came out. Um, it's a, it was a story about a, a, a man named Peter Monto. He's, a, he's currently an Anglican bishop right now. Uh, he grew up in an Italian Catholic family. Uh, not long after his mother found out that uh, she was pregnant with him, she was diagnosed with cancer. Um, and it wasn't, so it wasn't like a pregnancy. It wasn't like an ectopic pregnancy where um, both she and the baby would have, would have died. Um, but it was, it was a, a situation where she had cancer and she had to forestall treatments that would help with the cancer in order to try and protect the life of the baby. Um, and again, an Italian Catholic family and her priest advised, I don't know, I can't remember if it was a priest or who, who told her, um, but that it, it, you know, it's, it wasn't permissible, it wasn't okay. Uh, as extenuating as the circumstances were, it was not okay for her to have an abortion. Um, it wasn't okay for her to kill her son to try and preserve herself. Um, so she gave birth to her son Peter, and, and, and tragically, a few, a few years later, she ended up passing away from complications related to her pregnancy. Um, but Peter Monto, like, he ended up leaving the faith, coming back to the faith, um, and ended up, uh, he ended up in, you know, planting, being a pastor, planting churches, uh, and, and rose to the point where now he's a, he's a bishop in the Anglican church, which is a, a tradition that's similar to ours in a lot of ways. Um, 
father of four children, 15 or so grandchildren, something like that. Um, for his, and this is, he, he also catechizes and confirms children. He's a father of many. And this is what, what this is just the image that gets me, is that he, uh, his Episcopal ring, his bishop's ring, uh, which for, in that tradition is a sign of the bishop's authority and blessing to the world. He took his mother's wedding ring and recast it to be his bishop's ring. As if to um, bear on his body at all times that the source of his authority and his power and his blessing to the world uh, came from um, the gift of this gift of his mother. Um, as you hear that story, in a very hot week, talking about these subjects, is that story tragic or is it uplifting? It's both. Of course it's both. Of course it's both. Of course it's tragic that she, that, that it's, uh, it's so unbearably tragic and so unbearably awful um, that she gave her life um, for her son. And yet it is also uplifting, isn't it? And, I, and if you say it's only one or the other, that it's only tragic or it's only uplifting, um, I think you're missing something. Out of unimaginable pain and tragedy, um, as we read these, these, these verses, just unimaginable pain and tragedy, out of these things, God brings immeasurable blessing. Resurrection is on the other side of death. Um, and... Brother, it's like I know I've been dancing around this. I've, um, and I, I just, I, on the subject of abortion, guys, the, these past few few days of um, conversations gotten gotten hot. Like it's God bringing life, good things into the world through high risk, impossible pregnancies. Um, brothers and sisters, friends and neighbors, those who are visiting. Um, it's like as I look at the question of, of abortion in our country, it's like I see things that are complicated, require care for us to address. Um, as this, this decision from this past week, you know, Roe v. Wade being overturned by a Supreme Court, it's like there are so many things to pray for. It's like we should pray for unity in our country as this question gets more polarizing rather than less. State legislators handling it on a one, on a each state basis, like it'll be harder rather than easier, which the past couple days have shown that. Um, we should pray that women have access to the resources they need to raise their children and to have children, and that the church should be on, would be on the front lines for that instead of grandstanding. Um, we should pray that women who have had abortions in the past um, are always, feel, always feel welcome through the doors of the church. Um, there are things about, and of course, like, it's not like, this thing's, like things are solved here. Of course not, we all know that. Um, with this decision. There are things that are complicated and require care. Um, but also, um, as I look at these chapters, as I look, look at what we've been studying in Genesis, about, again, God, impossible high-risk pregnancies, about man and woman being made in the image of God, about the first, of the, one of the first major sins we see in the next chapter is a family member killing another. Um, I'm also conscious about this. <clears throat> conscience bound to say that there are things in this discussion, in this debate that are not complicated. That are not. Um, and that is, it was evil that there was a law that allowed for children to be killed in the womb. That was, that's not good. 
And my family, we've been thanking God that such a law, such case precedent has been overturned. Um, as, again, as complicated and nuanced and how this isn't going to solve everything, there's something I think to be thankful for here. The curse on the man. Dust eating, crown of thorns. Christ takes on a body of dust to save those who are cursed to return to the dust. Christ wears a crown of thorns so that we could wear a crown of glory. In Christ, the worst parts of this judgment become for us gateways to new life. Um, one of like, the ultimate questions as I think about life, my life, is, is like, is human life, is it ultimately a tragedy or a comedy? And I mean that in the ancient Greek sense. A tragedy is a story, ancient Greek tragedy is everyone dies at the end. Um, you walk away feeling depressed. And, and, but in ancient Greek comedy, there's a silver lining, there's something that leaves you smiling at the end. Um, it's not like a rom-com, but there's still, I'm sure, tons of people dying in most ancient Greek comedies. Um, is life ultimately, is your life ultimately, is it a tragedy or a comedy? Um, if the story ended here, it would be a tragedy. But in Christ, I think, our lives are ultimately a comedy, but it's through the path of the tragedy. Even at our death, all those who have faith in Christ will be reunited with God. He has overcome the devil in the dust. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.